Welcome to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. You're listening to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter. Today, we're discussing a topic that we have touched on on other podcasts recently, air pollution. Increasing levels of air pollution are being recorded across the country every day, and not just in our cities, but in our towns, across the UK, besides busy roads, in built-up areas, on construction sites, in retail parks, even along our coastline. The air we share is not as clean as it could and should be. I'm delighted to be joined today by three guests who've all been involved in a major new piece of research on air quality. Elle McCall, who's creative partner of Hubbub, the environmental campaigning charity, who are friends and regular guests on the pod. Um, Emily Bernstein, private banker from Investec, who took part in the campaign and the research. And Andrew Grieve, who's a senior air quality analyst at the School of Population Health and Environmental Sciences at King's College. That's a mouthful. So welcome to Planet Pod and thank you for coming. Thanks for having us, Amanda. So before we get going, I think it'd be really important if we actually get some context for people, and some people may be aware of what air pollution is and what we mean by it, but, but Andrew, could you just set the scene for us a little bit and explain to, to, to listeners, what do we mean when we talk about air pollution? Well, broadly air pollution is anything in the air that causes us harm. Um, you know, we don't often think about it because our lungs are inside our body, but actually our lungs are exposed to the, to the environment. Um, every breath we take we're taking stuff that's in the air into our body Um, we tend to kind of focus on four main pollutants of concern um, in 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 our cities Uh, and that's nitrogen dioxide um, which certainly in a a, well comes from combustion but certainly in in a in in an urban setting is coming from traffic Um, fine particles tiny, tiny particles, and we, we, we split those into two kind of uh, different types, depending on their size. So you might hear people refer to PM10 and PM2.5. So the PM stands for particulate matter, and the 10 and the 2.5 stand for, uh, means the, the, the size of the particle. So 10 microns or two and a half microns, so a thousandth of a millimetre for very, very tiny particles. Um, the other one we're concerned about is ozone, ground level ozone so we all know about the ozone layer in the upper atmosphere that protects us from the UV rays but ground level ozone can form during the summer um, so that's a different type of pollution that, that's a, quite a tricky one that one because it's not directly emitted so nitrogen dioxide and par- particles are emitted ozone is not so they're created artificially in the atmosphere effectively because if you're, if you're saying that ozone is different, is that because it's a, it occurs more naturally than the others, which are emissions from either burning fossil fuels or from traffic or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously it does occur naturally in the, in the upper atmosphere and, and does occur in the summertime if the conditions are right and we have what we call precursor uh, chemicals in the atmosphere and we have a very long, hot uh, summer's day, then we start to get ozone formed at ground level. And ozone is a very reactive molecule. Um, which is how it has an effect on our health. Um, the one other one that we monitor um, in London and, acro- and across the UK is sulphur dioxide. 
which is increasingly less of a problem than it, than it used to be, um, mainly because um, you know fuel fuels are have been cleaned up uh, quite significantly, and and there's been a lot of action on industrial emissions as well. Um, is sulphur so, dioxide what you used to call the smogs? Is that the stuff that created the smogs in London? Actually, the smogs that we think of in kind of Los Angeles, um, that kind of brown, and we, we have it here sometimes, that kind of brown haze uh, is is a combination of ozone and nitrogen dioxide. Okay. Um, uh, sulphur dioxide contributed to, remember in, in the 90s we had acid rain, mm-hmm. remember that? Um, that was that was from sulphur dioxide, but concentrations of sulphur dioxide have really decreased a lot um, over the last 10, 20 years. Um, well, I guess one of the kind of success stories of, of um, air quality, air pollution control, to show that it is it is possible. Um, yeah, so that's 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 what we mean by. Okay, so some of that is a so obviously we've made some progress and there's some good news in there, mm. but but overall, how would you assess the current picture around air pollution? Because because before before we came on air today, I had a quick look at the uh, Defra re- website where you can actually look at the daily forecast mm. for air quality. And I was amazed to see that, that they were predicting, you know, low pollution across the UK, but but moderate pollution possibly along the coastlines. And that really surprised me. I mean, I don't think of the coast. You go to the seaside for a breath of fresh air. You don't you don't assume you're going to be polluted there. So it, it, this is quite a complicated picture, isn't it, about what is happening around it, air pollution? It is. Um, also, to come back to ozone again, I mean, that, that moderate bit that you see along the coastline will likely be ozone, um, okay. to come back to ozone again. It's, ozone is a really tricky one, um, both in terms of kind of its, its atmospheric, atmospheric chemistry and its relationship to the other pollutants, but also in terms of the messaging because it has an inverse relationship with nitrogen monoxide, with NO, which is emitted, and this is already getting a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a full briefing on the website <laughs> and a glossary. Um, but but basically, what it means is that um, ozone concentrations tend to be lower in city centres and higher outside cities or on the outskirts of cities or in rural areas um, I mean to take to take it to kind of a, a bit of a micro micro extreme on a hot summer's day you you'll have a slightly higher ozone concentration in the middle of High Park than you will on the middle of the Houston Road for example okay. because of this relationship with with nitrogen monoxide and nitrogen dioxide um, but that you know that that makes the messaging quite confusing for mm. people because uh, we, and we have this a lot on our website actually where we have maps of live maps of nitrogen dioxide and particulates and you can kind of pick out the road network because that's where most of that is coming from and that makes sense to people and then we have this map of ozone which is basically kind of a, an inverse copy of, of the other ones where the concentrations are higher on the outside and, and, and people often say well your maps are wrong um, because of this, this this tricky thing with the Inverse relationship. So, uh, it, yeah, it's 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 uh, as it's very Elle's, complicated. Yeah, as Ellis discovered, yeah. you know, when we started off this project, talking about what to what to measure and yeah, how to yeah. do it and what to think about, and you start to get into a lot of these complications. Yeah. It's it's, um, it's tricky. Yeah, it is tricky, and I think for for me, I am quite new to the topic of air pollution, so I've been on a journey of trying to get my head around it and trying to asking lot Andrew lots of sort of awkward questions and I think what's become clear to me is that 
there's lots of confusion around it and people don't really it's invisible what does it mean for me what does it mean for my health um, how worried should I be I think as a cyclist in London I am now more conscious of it but it still feels not very tangible and do I wear a mask do I not wear a mask so there's all of these questions and I think partly why we're launching this campaign called the air we share is thinking actually there's a need to sort of communicate this very complex issue in a way that is a bit more tangible and people can relate to and I think if we can do that maybe we can begin to to sort of shift the tide a bit and um, because there hasn't yet been that sort of public outrage like there's been on plastics where the public are saying, this is terrible, you know, the government should do more and more needs to be done, businesses need to take action. And actually, as I think, as the evidence on health, impact on health mounts with air pollution, and if we can find ways of communicating that in a way that really relates to people in their everyday lives, then I think maybe, maybe that public opinion can begin to shift and we can be actually demanding we have the right to breathe clean air in our cities. So before we talk about the campaign specifically, I mean, is it worth just touching on, on what some of the health impacts are? I mean, because obviously, you know, <clears throat> air pollution is, we just we just discovered, quite complicated, but it has multiple impacts on, on, on people's lives. And if, yours, if everything we breathe is coming into our system through our lungs, yeah. then that's actually quite a vulnerable part of our body. So what are some of the major impacts on, on people's health from, from living in a polluted environment, an air polluted environment? Well... Um, I'll, I'll quote my, uh, my my boss, Professor Frank Kelly here, who is the health uh, expert in, in our group. He often says, you know, our, our, our thinking around air pollution started off with the respiratory system, obviously. Um, and a lot of kind of research went into that and the effect on, on lung health, lung growth. You know, just, I mean, that, that continues just a few uh, I was involved in a big project to look at um, the respiratory health of eight and nine-year-olds in Tower Hamlets and Hackney, um, where we were looking at the impact of the low emission zone, um, and the finding was that uh, the children there are growing up with smaller lungs than, uh, than than they should have. So that that kind of effect so on respiratory there's a direct physical result of the air pollution they're experiencing. Yeah, they're so it related to the annual average of the pollution concentrations at their home or school um, environment. Um, so that's that, terrifying. I mean, that's a really mm. terrifying statistic that's mm. actually physically affecting young people's development. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, the, 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 other thing, the other thing that people find quite shocking, but I, 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 use, I use in my presentations when I'm talking about air pollution, is um, we have these cells on our lungs called macrophages, which are kind of the... And I'm not kind of a health specialist but my understanding is they're kind of like the, the dustman of your lungs essentially they kind of go around and collect up all the bits and bobs that shouldn't be there and so they, they kind of collect up particulates that are, have entered the lung um, there are um, some slides of people have shown me where you can kind of cough, cough up these macrophages and have a look at them under the microscope and in, inside those you will see diesel particles inside those oh, cells that's gross isn't it and all from from these eight and nine year old kids who already have particles of diesel mm, in wow. the cells in their lungs, all of us have got these in their lungs. All, yeah. We all of us have. Um, it's quite shocking to see that uh, because it makes it very kind of visual and, and real. 
It's a bit um, like your plastic, isn't it? It's like almost like seeing that plastic water bottle floating in the ocean, mm. just yeah. seeing that diesel inside yeah. somebody's physical body. And it, we'll probably talk more about this in a moment, but I don't know what you thought, Emily, but the, we, with the monitoring we did, there was a filter inside the monitoring, inside the monitors, that when you pulled it out and changed it, there was a little black spot. And that was the air coming through and the sort of particles in the air collecting on the filter. And actually seeing that black spot, did you find it? I I think, I mean, I think I'm coming off piece a bit here, but I, talking about air pollution, I think it's something I haven't really Mm. thought about properly. This has given me the opportunity to actually take stock and and think about it. I think that's Mm. probably what's true with all of us. We see a plastic bottle, we see it on an ocean, we start thinking about it. Yeah. But for me, I'd never... I think I've seen people, you mentioned, wearing masks, and we're all busy, I'm getting on with my life, and I look at them and think, okay, either they're absolutely crazy, (laughs) or they know something that I don't know, and I should be doing the same as them, but I haven't got time to think about it, because I'm so busy, and I've got to get to work, and I've got to get my kids to school, and I'm thinking about what I'm making for dinner and this client meeting mm. I've got and air pollution is just not top of my agenda but wearing the monitor and having it on me all the time and thinking about what was coming in there the particulate matter this black stuff that was basically coming into this monitor and, and the black stuff that was coming into the monitor is the same stuff that's going into my lungs what on earth is doing it doing to me and, and mm. so it's been a real eye-opener to So me. just to row back a bit Emily you were involved in this in this um, piece of data research that, that, that Hubbub have been working on and you know you so what did you do what was what was what was actually the research what what was involved in the research from your point of view as a participant so as a participant I met with Elle and Andrew they spoke to me a bit about air pollution and then I was given this monitor and as Andrew described it it's the size of a, a small cereal packet but much heavier. You didn't tell me how heavy it was. <laughs> We're talking um, about those variety packs, aren't we? Yeah, yeah exactly. We're not, not, not an enormous one. I wasn't box of, that around. Bump the box of Kellogg's. <laughs> um, but it was quite heavy, and there was a, a thick tube uh, attached to it, and I clipped the tube onto my clothing and made sure that the, the entrance to the tube, which was capturing um, the pollution, was okay. always... You know, outwards, not, not stuck to me. And you wore that. it all the time? I or? wore it all the time. I mean, not in bed. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I wore it all the time. And when I got home, I would take it off and actually just put it in the kitchen. So you had also it. Interesting. So you had it in the house. You had it in on your, on, the, on your commute to work. You had it in your office. Which I had like parents' evenings. I took it into the school. Oh, um, yeah, wherever I was, the monitor came with me. People yeah. did give me strange looks, but okay. And why yeah. did and an Investec have been involved a little bit in the campaign, not just obviously mm. you as an individual, but as a as a business? Yeah, they was... have. I mean, actually, I'm I've been with Investec for a year, and what was interesting, and I'm not sure if other companies do it, but when the day I started, we were taught how to pick up a box correctly, which I was thinking, okay, that's interesting. But the other thing we were shown and spoken about was was air pollution, and they showed us a graph, and they, I think they've done a study in the past, but they showed us a graph of of air pollution. I think. One of my colleagues a few years ago had worn one, and what was particularly striking was walking around near busy roads, going on the tube, the spikes. Mm. So I think it got me thinking about it then. Um, but they, they they do they do make that make us aware of it, and so that was that was interesting from that perspective. Yeah. And I wonder what other companies are doing. So it's obviously a big issue for, for businesses and employers. So, so, so you were wearing the monitor for a week, but were other people wearing them? L, I mean, what was what, mm. how did the research work? So the idea was to give 10 monitors to people with really different occupations, routines um, and hobbies 
and different kind of tra- travel routes through the city. So we gave one to a primary school people in Whitechapel, a college student, um, someone who drives HGV in central London, um, a construction worker who works in King's Cross, um, and to people who commute into London by uh, cycling, by tube, different modes of transport. And the results were really interesting. So they people had the monitors for up to a week and were we asked them to just go about their normal day-to-day but also make a few variations so we could see, OK, what's the difference if you take a back route compared to taking a busy road and, and sort of experiment a bit with it. Um, and Andrew can sort of back me up with more sort of technical detail, but I think... Um, yeah, the, there were some interesting findings that, that have come out of it. Um, I think the thing that surprised me the most was the driver was actually more than doubly exposed compared to anyone else. And I this think is the HGV delivery, HGV driver. delivery often, driver. Yeah, exactly. And I think as a cyclist in London, I've often thought, oh gosh, am I really exposed to pollution? And I think it's a common misconception that if you're walking and cycling, you're, you're sort of the most vulnerable and actually what our research suggests is that drivers are probably one of the most vulnerable groups, especially if they're sitting in traffic in, in sort of busy cities. And is that because they're absorbing the pollution that's in the immediate environment around them coming into their cab, or is it because their own vehicle is creating some pollution that might be...? Yeah, it's exactly, you know, the, the, the intake of, of a vehicle is at the front and the exhaust of the vehicle in front is at the back, <coughs> and they're just sitting in the line of... You're driving in the line of all of the vehicles that are directly in front of you. And he just comes into the cabin built up. What What's interesting is, is Dean, the driver, mm. when we went to see him, said, oh, you know, I often look at cyclists in London on my rounds and think, that's crazy, I would never cycle in London because you're, you're exposed mm. to so much pollution. And actually, he hadn't realised that he is more more exposed than the cyclists by, by far. It's something that we've known, but I think it's not that drivers are more exposed. It's, it's something that's not widely known, I think. Uh, I think people often think that they're kind of protected in their, yeah. in their car. Um, so this has huge implications for traffic planning, for electrification of vehicles, mm-hmm. for the clean air zone. I mean, we've launched, you know, the low emission zone in, in central London, but, you know, London's probably just um, an extreme example of what's happening all over the country, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the drive for clean air, you know, clean air zones, which is not actually as effective as it should be because, you know, local authorities are failing to implement some of the the actions they need aren't they so we're not actually getting as many proper clean air zones as we need so presumably this isn't just something that's affecting Londoners this is affecting anybody who who either commutes in any way or travels to anywhere by car so whether that's taking your kids to school or whatever Mm. or somebody who lives you know basically lives in the UK because no area is free from from pollution yeah just this weekend actually uh, Edinburgh closed some roads uh, in the city centre and they're going to start doing that that once a month um, so with what free, with every day in the city? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. To encourage people not to drive and to try and yeah. 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 And they do that in I think they do that in Paris, in Paris and a few yeah. other major cities where they just say right we're shutting the roads for the day. People can cycle, they can walk, they yeah. can roll a blade. Um, it's interesting what they're doing at your child's school as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. School streets, yeah. Um, I so isn't my son goes to school in Islington and um, some some of the other local authorities have done this as well. Just um, blocking off the road directly outside the school gates um, from um, you know uh, eight forty-five to nine thirty in the morning, and, and 
three to four, four in the afternoon, uh, just at the pick up and drop off times. Um, and it's been so effective. It's, I think the, th the thing that's really struck, struck me about it is how easy it's been. They just put up some signs and people <laughs> just respect it. And it feels now, I mean, it's been in for a couple of months, but it kind of feels like now, like it's always been that way. And what a pleasure it is to come out into the street and everyone's just cycling and skateboarding and roller skating and walking with their parents up up the road to the school mm -hmm. gate and not having to worry about a van coming around the corner or something. It's, it's brilliant. It's a really easy thing to do. Um, Wouldn't there, some people argue they're just pushing the traffic into other areas? So, I mean, you're, you're, obviously we need to keep our children and their lungs safe. And yeah. I know that there's yes. significant le levels of pollution around schools on there. I mean, lots of data shows that and schools are taking mitigating actions. But, but if you're pushing the traffic out elsewhere, that's not a solution. It's just. But a, I think, Amanda, what the issue with schools is that people are sitting in their cars with their... With engines their, running. Engines running, and that's okay. a problem. Mm. And it's just this, it's building this... This, mm. I, I don't I don't know what exactly is happening but it's just sitting there it's pollution it's not moving at least you're getting it out of the way from the schools and also the children are the most vulnerable yeah of course so yeah, yeah. I mean I'm children are yeah children are the most vulnerable um to exposure of air pollution yeah. but I suppose there's something in there about planning as well isn't there I mean you know in in a big urban conurbation where it's London whether it's London or any other city or any other large town it ought to be possible to get to school by other means you don't necessarily have to be driven so there's something there about individual behaviours as well isn't there and that's presumably one of the things that we want to sort of tackle with Absolutely. a campaign like this. I think you know active travel for sure is is one of the big things that not only is you know you're protecting yourself because often you can take back routes and you're not as exposed you're keeping fit and often it's cheaper um, so I think the sort of enabling making it easier for people to cycle and walk is definitely a big part of what needs to happen but also you know we we need to transition ourselves away from fossil fuels which we know you know not only has an air pollution impact but has a climate impact and you know cleaner vehicles on our roads I think vehicles aren't going to go away but how can um, how can we promote active tra travel and also just sort of accelerate the shift to sort of cleaner cleaner vehicles and because we've all got the right to clean, breathe clean air, and um, the sooner that can happen, the better. They're so expensive, electric cars, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, that's what puts me off at the moment. Yeah. Is that they are so much more expensive than any well, other. Well, I car. think the initial price is expensive, but the running costs are much lower, yes. aren't they? But then there has to be. So, well, I guess what we're saying here is there's a there's an individual element of action, isn't there? Mm. So, individually changing behaviours. So, choosing to perhaps use less polluted routes, and if you can map the hotspots from around pollution, and I know there's lots of apps out there and maps that show you that. So, individual behaviours, but also collective behaviour and government action, mm. because we do need government to step up on this, don't we? And government's failing to to implement those measures that already exist. Mm. So, as part of your campaign to call for policy change or, or government action, absolutely. I think everyone's got a role to play with this, and I think. What's also really interesting with this campaign is the role of businesses and I think there's a real opportunity for businesses to come together and you know take a lead on this. So we've got Investec supporting this campaign and then Grosvenor, Kingfisher, um, First Mile, Energy and Bunzel. So and this sort of coalition of businesses who care about cutting Londoners' exposure to air pollution is, is growing and hopefully we'll continue to build this. And the ambition really is to, over the next year, 
trial really practical interventions in London that we can properly measure to say actually what is effect what is most effective at cutting cutting our exposure and speeding up this the transition that we need mm. and I think there's some really encouraging steps from from business so far well, London is obviously a centre because there's a huge number of people coming into the city, but, but we've got more options in London. So if you take, you know, somewhere like Newcastle, where, you know, we've got lots of listeners outside of London, um, you have very few transport options. I mean, you could possibly come in by train, but there's only a limited number of train routes into the city. And there's metro if you're in the actually immediate urban area. But if you're travelling in from the outside, you've got to travel in by car. Mm. So presumably some of the issues we should be asking for are actually other ways of getting people to and from their place of work outside of London. And that's one of the issues that we haven't tackled, isn't it? That's one of those... those, those and mm. that's part of that problem mm. with the clean air zones, is that cities are, and other cities, you know, around the country are reluctant mm. to say, we'll ban vehicles, because it has a knock-on... Im- they believe it has a knock-on yeah. impact on business. Yeah. So that, how do we square that circle? That's a really big question. And, uh, oh, and we like big questions on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking to you for an answer. I just had a thought, actually, because I know I, I know I don't know about other businesses, but Investec, we're adopting a more flexible working um, pattern, and more and more people are working maybe one day from home. I'm sure that has an impact. The mm. less people are, are travelling in, and more people are working from home, mm. then that must have an impact on, on the pollution out there. Yeah. And, th- that's, and, that's, mm. and that is the way people are moving. I, I work a lot with lawyers, and I'm out meeting them, and... I would say the majority of law firms, they are, most of the lawyers are working flexibly and working yeah. at least one day from home. Yeah, I think agile working so, will have a huge and impact on I think, on, I think on, firms on, collectively on have that transport. responsibility that we need to be working mm. and be able to work from home because that is a fact. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an issue, talking about business, there's an issue here for duty of care for your employer as an employer, isn't there? Because going back to your van driver, you know, they're actively being put into a position where they're being polluted by their employment. Yeah. And at what point do they say, you know, the job I'm doing is, is contributing to ill health, is practically killing me? You know, we've got parallels with asbestos and other, you know, industrial pollutants and, mm. and illnesses. So it's quite a significant challenge that we'll be putting out to employers here. It is. It's, it's interesting as well. I was speaking to Ashley, who works, he's a civil mm. engineer who works on the site at King's Cross. And he said when he's working at head office, it's fine, he can cycle into work. But when he's working on a site, he can't cycle because there are no shaft facilities, there's nowhere to leave a bike. And I was like, well, maybe your employer should buddy up or have some partnership with a gym, mm. a local gym, that you can actually then have a shower. Mm. And But as a construction worker, he's probably exposed to all sorts of pollutions in addition yeah. to his in journey, addition, isn't he? Yes. Is that, I mean, that's something that came out of your, your survey. Mm. And of course, construction goes off on all over the country. It's not just isolated in London. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the outdoor worker was six times more exposed than someone who was in a clean office environment. So quite a big difference there. Um, and I think they are an overlooked group and vulnerable group to mm. um, to air pollution. My, and air pollution my, my, the ch- sorry, Amanda, my cumulative exposure to air pollution was pretty yeah. similar yeah. to Ashley's, a construction worker. So what were you doing? Well, I don't really sit in the office. I'm out all the time, and mm. that's ah, the thing. And that's so what tax, sitting in the back of a taxi I don't, I don't, or being on the tube? I, I, the tube. The tube is really interesting, and I that's what shocked me the most about this, because actually Andrew mentioned the four different pollutants, and... One he didn't mention, because we don't really understand it, is iron oxide. Mm. So that's, you know when you come out the tube and you blow your nose and it's black? That's iron oxide, Mm. which is the stuff that comes off the rails and the tubes. And I think that's where I had my peaks when I was on, particularly on the northern line, which is very deep down and full of iron oxide. But we don't know 
the effect it has. I think we, we have iron in our blood, so as far as I understand, our gut can probably process the iron, but what's the impact on our lungs? Yeah. I don't know. So that, that's, that has made me really think about what I do. But the tube's the quickest means of transport. But then when I was overground... So on a train overground, the levels were so much lower. Mm. So I've got an overground station, which is probably three miles from my house. And actually, I can run that route, which is through a park. So I could actually get up, run, do a three-mile run, get on the overground, and then avoid that northern line exposure. Do you think it changed your behaviours? And we probably should tell listeners that you've just completed the marathon in yet again in record time. Um, so well, yeah, running, for running, me, but not for anyone else. <laughs> sounded like record to me. So running to the station to get to work, most of us would just blanch at that, but for you that would be an everyday activity. Did it change your behaviour as a result of the, wearing the monitor? I mean, do you think now more carefully about where you walk? You know, you've just cited that as Absolutely. an example. Absolutely. I, I mean, Harriet and I just came here to this um, podcast and... I wouldn't take the. I don't take taxis out of choice at all, unless it's late at night um, or going particularly far, or it's not near a station. Because I actually don't like sitting in taxis. But we got the bus here, and I said to Harriet, "Oh, I can just smell the fumes." She goes, oh, "I can't smell it." I was like, "I can really smell the fumes because I've become super aware of it." Yeah. And I, I think it's just made me far more aware of the pollution that's out there, and and I should be avoiding it because when I, I do walk a lot from meetings, so when I was walking on busy roads. And I would have done that to, to obviously to get there quicker. It, it spiked up, so I've got to come away from those busy roads. And I think that that's what we should be doing. Don't mm-hmm. go along busy roads where there's lots of traffic. So there's lots of things people can do to take responsibility. And am I right in saying one of your monitors was on an MP? Yes, that's right. Um, waiting the findings on that, but it should be really interesting what the air quality is like inside inside Parliament. Um, Lots of hot air, maybe, but uh, <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's, we know that already. <laughs> but I guess because it's a very le- and we know it's a very leaky building mm. and it's a very old building, mm. and you know, modern, well, well air conditioned or buildings with very good quality filters and things are, are safe for people to work in. Parliament, I should imagine, would have quite a lot of pollution because partly because of where it is, but also because there's lots coming in, isn't there, through through the through the leakiness of the building. So, will you be putting a call out as part of this campaign to to policymakers and to politicians i think yeah i think very much the what we'd like individuals to do is think about you know there's lots of things we can all do as you say to sort of make those small tweaks in our routines that might reduce our exposure and that's always great and perhaps thinking about you know can we drive less can we cycle more can we um can we better insulate our homes and not burn fires and all that sort of stuff but I think also remembering that our MPs represent us and so if we care about air pollution we should be letting them know and sort of saying actually we care about this come come on board and and you know um support policies that um will create clean air for everyone in London mm. um so I think the key thing is everyone's everyone's got a role to play here, whether it's policymakers, whether it's businesses, and whether it's the public. And I think we're yet to see that that sort of public outcry on this. And I think that might might begin to happen more and more as as sort of people become more aware of what they're breathing in. Do we need more data, Andrew? Because this was a very rich data set, wasn't it? Because these monitors were so sophisticated, they collected a lot of data mm. over the period people were wearing them. So do we need more? I mean, is it that we just need more evidence or do we just need to present that evidence better? You know, what, 
what, one of the reasons for doing this is we have pretty good data on ambient air quality from the static air quality monitors that we have across across the city across the city and the country. Um, and they're really important for giving us kind of long-term trends on what's in the air and how it's changing. Um, what we don't have a good understanding of is, <laughs> what I have a better understanding of now is the complexity of people's lives mm. um, and where and when and how they're exposed. So yeah, absolutely, we need, we need to continue to get, to get a better understanding of what individual people's exposures are like. Um, because at the moment, um, the way that the kind of health impact stuff is done is just is at a population level, and you, know, mm. you have to do that because that you have to. That's the only way that you can have kind of enough kind of statistical power um, to be able to draw some some conclusions. But that's really important. But the tricky thing about that is that you you come out with massive numbers that for most people. Are, can't relate to. Yeah. Mm. We'll say, well, that's an, an early death, or that's how many months off your life, or that's someone else, or that's at the end of my life. It's not now. Mm. Mm. It's not mm. me. Um, and the power of this is being able to kind of relate it more to the individual. But our kind of understanding of the, the impacts of all of these individual, you know, twenty minutes of the tube and stuff is is behind where 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 it needs to be. So yeah, we need to continue this to understand better. What micro environments and, and short term exposures in different environments has, and mm. what the effect that has on our health. So we need some of that acute data, but we also need that longitudinal data, don't we? Because we know that impacts, you know, over time on things like asthma and people's mm. general kind of, you know, respiratory capacity and things. So we've got to have both of those data sets running alongside Absolutely. each other. Yeah. But obviously, just having just a week of the air monitors. Can I say it's sort of changed your life? It's certainly changed your approach to some things, hasn't it? Emily? Yeah, I mean, it has definitely changed my approach and conversations with my children, talking about air pollution with them, because my takings from this finding as well and from the research is that young people and elderly are the most at risk. Mm. And I worry about my kids and the impact it has. I think there was an article recently that there's a 40% increase in psychosis amongst adolescents in highly polluted areas. Mm. That's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is shocking. And the, incre- and the link with dementia as well, yeah. is that right? There's a link. So, all, so, so we're not, what we're not doing is we're not tying all these things together, are we? And that's what we need to do. So maybe that's the next big piece of research. We need to tie all this together because is that, you know, is the psychosis contributing to gang behaviour and violence, which we see increasing in our streets? You know, is there a direct causal link? It's a big leap, but, but somebody needs to be having those conversations, mm. don't they? Mm, yeah. So Emily, as a result of taking part in this trial, is it fair to say that this has changed your behaviours I mean what 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 do you do differently now and what would you be your concerns now I think it definitely has changed my behaviours I've become a bit of a um, air pollution geek literally I read every article um, it's on my radar now whereas it wasn't I think the other thing to point out is that I I don't understand and I need to gain some more clarity is what are the legal limits of air pollution in this country what are the government doing what happens when we exceed them because I've looked on Andrew's website I know it's not yours, but the King's College London website. And I was reading that the World Health Organization's recommended limits of 10 micrograms per m- cubic metre. Mm. We're exceeding those. So what's happening? What, whose responsibility is? Is it, is it Europe? Is it our government? 
who, who's responsible for this? I don't understand. And there's an issue here about policing this, isn't there? I mean, you know, there obviously is a post-Brexit scenario here. Mm. We've got through nearly a whole podcast without mentioning the key <laughs> word. Um, but, but it's becoming increasingly important because these are some of the things that mm. people don't understand about our relationship with Europe is it isn't, it isn't just about, you know, uh, legislation around cha- trade. It's really important stuff about our health. Mm. And, and if, if the European Union is not holding the government to account, who will be? Yeah. Well, and that's an open question at the moment. Who will be the enforcement body um, after after Brexit? Um, yeah, you know, the, the structure at the moment is that, in, every, in theory, all European Union countries have to monitor in the same way and report in the same way. Um, and because air pollution has no bound, you know, doesn't respect boundaries, moves from country to country... The idea was that, well, if we've got this enormous kind of block of countries all doing the same, you know, mm. doing the same stuff, then we should try to reduce concentrations overall. Um, there's no point in you doing something if your neighbouring country isn't doing something, and all the their stuff's coming your way, and vice versa. It would be amazing if we could move to the more stricter WHO. Um, PM limits, which are lower than the than the EU ones, um, but yeah, you know, the Client Earth, as you know, have taken the court, um, taken the government to court three times and and, and won three times, um, and the government has been forced to come out with new NO two plans each time. But mm-hmm. um, the big question is who's going to be who's going to police it and who's going to be the enforcement body after Brexit. Yeah, and maybe maybe there's an issue there too for us as as individuals both you know in our work and our on our non-work lives whatever that is of actually c- keeping on having this subject to the top of people's agenda and ourselves holding the government to account because there's a direct climate change impact from 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 air pollution mm. isn't there and poor air so mm. it's another one of those things we have to add to that list that you know we're holding the government to account for yeah. and you know obviously client earth did a pod short recently mm. on 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 their role and what they were doing with the government which explains a lot more of this in the short term though we should all just join the air we share campaign that hubbub are running and there's a hashtag air we share, air we share. <laughs> um and obviously information on the website yeah. and people can get involved and share Absolutely. their stories and get data and information and we will put a kind of bit of a glossary because some of this stuff is a bit technical mm. um just any other calls to action that you'd like to share with listeners or possibly with policymakers and government I mean, yours will probably be for more funding, for more research, I expect, Andrew, but <laughs> that one we can't grant you. But My brain is completely full of all of this data, <laughs> and there's no space for anything. He's, okay. been, we'll let you, he's been spending hours and we'll hours analysing the data. And, and share your results. <laughs> I mean, my, my, mine is get off the tube, get off the main streets, walk, run yeah. and cycle. Yeah. But and cycle off the main roads, that, that would be yeah. my finding. And talk about it. Talk, about, talk about it with it. your friends, talk about it with your children. Read yeah. the articles. There's lots in the papers. There's yeah. lots on TV, but it's yeah. something we're choosing to ignore. But don't, you know, when when we when the cigarette packets came out with you know actually what what cigarettes do to to us? I think there needs to be probably a quite a drastic campaign. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I think there is lots. It sounds. I think all of this conversation feels quite. Um, it's it feels a bit scary. And it feels a bit unknown, and it feels very complicated still. And I think actually. We can all breathe easy because there is stuff we can do. There is actions we can all take to improve the aerial share, <laughs> hashtag. Um, and I, th- I think there really is. And whether that's changes you can make to your route 
or it's chain or it's even just saying you know getting in touch with your mp to say that this is an issue that you care about we can all get involved in a local group you know there's lots of groups for like mums for lungs there's a new parent group called the air team that's just launched so there is ways that people can get involved with with this and taking action on this issue and i think also the other thing is is for businesses um, joining this new coalition of, of leading companies and and trying some really innovative, creative, practical sort of interventions over the next year is is also is really exciting. And we just would invite anyone who mm. is interested in kind of collaborating with us to get in touch. Yeah, and that's a nationwide call, I think, because obviously the air is you know Absolutely. it's an issue for all of us. I love the idea we might be able to breathe easily though. Perhaps not quite as easily as we thought. <laughs> so, L, um, Emily, and Andrew, thank you so much for, for joining thank us on Planet Earth. Thank you to my guests and thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you about what you think about Planet Pod. You can tweet at planet underscore pod or get in touch via the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe and download previous episodes. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give us a five-star review. It helps us make better programmes. Be sustainable and stay green. Planet Pod is an Akil Sounds production hosted by me, Amanda Carpenter, edited and produced by Jim Haywood, with additional research by Beth Palmer.